So yesterday we were filling out some forms for one of our children, and there were numerous demographics questions, um, male, female, non-binary, decline, transgender, yes, no, decline, ethnicity, white, black, and then like a list, and then uh, various, or decline. You know, no matter what our background is, whether it be uh, sexuality, race, culture, we all come to the table with innumerable needs. We all have needs. Whatever the demographics read, however you fill out the form, we all have needs and they are vast. And this morning, as we try to do each time we're together, we want to stand back and we want to be amazed at how our Savior, Jesus, meets us and meets our every need with His endless supply of grace. You'll probably remember that earlier in our study, when we were in chapter 1, we came across this amazing statement about who Jesus is and what Jesus brings to the table. In John chapter 1, in verse 16, God's Word says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You know, remember, I think, that it was grace instead of grace. In place of one form of grace, another wave of grace. And when that one is exhausted, another wave of grace, one after the other. This is who our God is. This is who our Savior is. And so this morning as we read through this familiar account, we're going to see Jesus offering to fill the hurt, disappointment, rejection, and dissatisfaction of a woman of His day. And as we do, we have to remember that His offer of fullness and grace and abundance extends to the people of this generation in this room, in this hour. Right here, right now, whatever you bring to the table and wherever your vacuous or uh, cavernous desires and needs are, This Jesus that 2,000 years ago met this woman in the heat of the day, those in that setting, He's, He's here to meet you today and to provide and offer you the same provision that He offered to that lady that we'll read about this morning. As we start our time of worship in the Word this morning, we want to see, as the Gospel of John depicts for us, a transition 
of Jesus' ministry from one location to another. So that's how this chapter starts, is with a transition from one location to another. And we'll start by reading verses 1-3. through And what we want to notice in these first three verses is that Jesus' imprint was continuously or constantly growing. Jesus' imprint, His impact, the things that were happening around Him, it was just constantly expanding and growing. And I think we can see that in these verses. Verse 1, it says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only His disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus' imprint or influence caused larger and larger crowds with more and more attention drawn to Him and to His ministry. This is a regular occurrence, if you're noticing, through the Gospels. Matthew accounts for it, as does Mark and Luke. I want to share with you just a little bit of some of the samplings of how where Jesus was, there was a constant flocking toward Him. There was a constant growing crowd around Him. In Matthew's accounting, Jesus heals a man's hand on the Sabbath day. And when He does this, He causes a bit of a stir among the Pharisees. And it says in Matthew chapter 12 that the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him how they might destroy Him. And then in chapter 12 of Matthew in verse 15 it says, many followed Him Many followed Him. And I want you to marvel at the next few words. And He healed them all. Our Gospel accounts do not tell us of all the individuals that Jesus dealt with. All the lives that were inalterably changed because He was there but there were mobs of people following Him. And every one of them, it says, were healed. No wonder the crowds kept growing. This is the kind of impact that He made. In Mark's Gospel, it records this. Jesus is teaching in a house and in Mark 1.33 it says, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Perhaps maybe a little hyperbole, right? Maybe not every single human being was there. But the idea is there's a vast mob at the door of this house because they knew who was inside. I need to see or hear or touch or be touched by this person. Something amazing is taking place. There's a, a mob of people. A little later in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1 and verse 45, it says, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to Him from every quarter. This is what was happening in Jesus' ministry. People were flocking to Him. And so we, we see here in John chapter 4 that Jesus learns that the Pharisees heard 
that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. He's aware of His impact. He's aware of the consequences of His impact. And so, he recognizes that as his ministry increases and John the Baptist's ministry decreases, there are going to be implications to this. And was Jesus running because he was scared? No. He didn't say, oh, i got to get out of here before someone hurts me. He's the God of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. He will later say in a very tense moment when when. Guards come to him and, and Peter takes out a sword and cop, uh, chops off Malchus's ear. He'll say, listen, if I wanted, if this were the right thing, I could at this moment call legions of angels to defend me. But I'm not here for that. He's not afraid. Instead, he recognizes he has a job to do, a mission to fulfill. And to stay in Judea with this growing mob, with this growing antagonism of the Pharisees at that moment was going to create a a roadblock to fulfilling the mission. So he he leaves Judea and heads toward Galilee. And as he heads there, he had to, in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. According to Josephus, that is a three-day journey to go from Judea to Samaria. Look at verse 4. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had a divine appointment with someone. The word there in the Greek is day. It's one of my favorite Greek words. It's so simple. Day. Simply means it is necessary. It is necessary. He had to pass through Samaria. There were other routes. There were alternate passageways. And sometimes, you know, in some traditions, they say, well, the Jews always went around. They went into the Transjordan. So they went and dealt with uh, uh, Gentiles rather than go through the Samaritan uh, passageway. We, we don't really know whether that's the case or not, but we do know that Jesus had to go this way because he had someone he was going to go see. It's important for us to understand this. Why did he have to do it? Well, I think it was necessary, first of all, for the, this woman that he's about to encounter. She needed to meet Jesus. She was deeply needy. And Jesus had something for her deep needs. Secondly, I think there's, it was necessary because, as we'll see as this unfolds, Not only did she need to meet Jesus, there were some townspeople, some Samaritans that uh, heard her testimony. They also went running toward Jesus. They also had their lives eternally changed. Those Samaritans in that day desperately needed Jesus to pass through Samaria that day. And you know what, friends? There's a third need for this passageway through Samaria. You and I needed Jesus to pass through Samaria that day so that we could see that as desperate and needy and broken as this woman was that Jesus is about to encounter, and Jesus had exactly what she needed in that moment, we needed Him to have that experience with her and for her to have that experience 
with him so that we too would be let in on what kind of a savior this Jesus is. He is absolutely, astoundingly kind and gentle and caring and merciful. And he gives, he gives what we need even when we don't know that we need it. Take a look, please, at this passage, verses 4 through 8. It says, And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now there's a lot of historical things you could do with this text. We just don't have time to talk about how you know, Jacob gave this plot of land to, to, to Joseph and, and Joseph's bones are buried there and Joseph's bones are here and the, and the well is here and these mountains are there. We'll talk about the mountains next week. There's a lot of historical significance to all of this. We, we want to get the, the actual meat out of this that we can and to focus in on the geography would lessen our attention to our Savior. Our attention here in this passage should be on our Savior who provides in the midst of distress. In verse 6, Jesus is wearied from traveling because He's not only fully God, He's fully man. So it would make sense that He would be wearied from traveling. And it is the sixth hour in this accounting. It's likely it's counting from 6 a.m. So sixth hour means it's dead noon. It's hot. He's alone. His disciples went off to buy food. You see that in verse 8. And this lady in verse 7 also appears to be by herself in the heat of the day at noon. So the question that we would want to figure out here for a moment is, why is this woman there in the heat of the day, by yourself. Most people would go before it got super hot and or after it got super hot, and they would make the journey with other people, not by themselves. And yet, she's by herself right in the dead heat of the day. Well, I think we know, we get, the, we get, we get it as we read the account. She's not highly regarded in her city She's been married five times. Jesus is going to unfold that before her and she's living with someone else. The women of the town are not so fond of her. She's maybe a a bit of a reject from them. She's not a societal um, welcomed person. So she's there by herself. And you know, I think this is a really important concept here. In this life, when someone is vulnerable, like this lady that we're talking about in this text, when someone is vulnerable, people often seek to take advantage. You think in this world filled with people trafficking others, every year I have to take refresher training 
on trafficked people because it's a recurring problem across the globe. Women, children, the most vulnerable of people, when they're in that vulnerable condition, people say, how can I exploit them to get what I want? Whether some uh, sexual pleasure for themselves or some means of making money for themselves. It's an incredible tragedy that we have in our world. Think of the so many that have been oppressed in so many circumstances, whether it's women or children or people groups. Mankind at times looks at the weaknesses of people as opportunities. You're not naive, right? You recognize this. Jesus sees this woman's vulnerability and rather than exploiting her, He seeks to meet her needs. Her real needs. He sees her vulnerability and He says, I have something for you. I want to provide for you so that the deepest needs of your soul, rather than being continuously exploited and harmed and furthered and deepened, I want to fill those caverns with a stream of My love and My grace, water that will never run dry in your soul. This is who Jesus is. Why was Jesus by Himself? Well, you know the, de- the data tells you in verse 8, because His disciples went into the city to buy food. That's the data. Yep, I got it. Did all of them need to go? Maybe good one of them stayed with him. The answer is they didn't. It doesn't seem. Seems like he's by himself. Why? Well, I think that we might get a little bit of a sense of Jesus having to go through Samaria, and it might be related here. This lady comes by herself. Jesus is by himself so that he can have this conversation that's deep and personal and, and vulnerable in a way that if there's a group of guys there, how likely is it that she's going to continue with this conversation? Not so much. If she's with a bunch of women, is he going to intrude into her life and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your, your real problems? Not going to happen. But yet God divinely sets aside this opportunity for Jesus to talk one-on-one with this lady who needed Him. And He gives her what she needs. It's amazing. This is, God is able to do this. Not just 2,000 uh, years ago. He's still doing this today. Differently. It's like He's not physically here. But He's still meeting people in their most desperate situation in the best and most fulfilling way. Alright, so we see the transition in His ministry. We see Jesus having this divine appointment. As we look a little further, Jesus did not allow customs to prevent his mission of rescue look at verse 9 the samaritan woman says said to him how is it that you a jew ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria for jews have no dealings with the samaritans now in other translations it reads it slightly differently maybe sometimes a little bit better than that it almost gets the idea of 
Jews and Samaritans don't touch the same vessels. Just pause and meditate on that for a moment. Jesus does not allow customs to prevent His mission of rescue. Now, in chapter 3, Jesus encounters and entrusts Himself to a highly respected Pharisee named Nicodemus. And this highly respected Pharisee was in need of the the rescue that Jesus offered. In John chapter 4, Jesus entrusts Himself to a disrespected, uncared for member of the Samaritan community, people that Jews disdained, and Jesus offers to her the same offer that He offered to Nicodemus. He offered to rescue. Everyone needs the life that Jesus freely offers. So this lady is really thrown off by the fact that Jesus interacts with her. How is it that you, you're a Jew, and you hate me? Why are you talking to me? You hate me. Quite factually, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and I, I hate you. Not only are you a Jew, and you hate me, and I hate you, I'm a woman, and I'm looked down upon Men don't talk to women in public. And by the way, if I give you a drink from my cup, won't you be unclean? Don Carson captures this beautifully with this statement. She does not know, far from being defiled by what is unclean, Jesus sanctifies what he touches. You can't dirty him. You can't unclean the forever holy clean one. It's amazing. But in her mind, if you touch this vessel, won't you think you're ceremonially ceremonially unclean? Now, this starts to make me think in lots of different ways and I'm going to keep myself on track here. But, I want you to think about a a person with leprosy coming to Jesus saying, if you will, you can make me clean. And you know that Jesus could have spoken the words and this leprous man could have gone away clean. But that wasn't good enough. Jesus sees this man in desperation asking for cleansing and Jesus touches him and makes his uncleanness clean. Because this is who he is. And this is what he does. Social customs, religious traditions, don't do anything for him. It's the truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. So Jesus says, give me a drink. Well, this is going to cause a problem. No. But the giving him a drink while he was physically thirsty was not the point of his conversation. This is where we get to the the really good part. In verses 10 through 14, Jesus offers eternal life. Jesus offers eternal life. Look at verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And He would have given you living water. 
The woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw with or draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty Again, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. Welling up to eternal life. It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Give me a drink. Hold up. You're a Jew. You're a man. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. Jesus says, oh, I, if you even knew that the gift of God is standing here in your presence, the gift of God is right here in your presence, if you recognized who I am that's asking you for a drink, you would have said, I have something I need from you. And so she's like, dude, you don't, You don't have a bucket. How are you going to give me a drink? It's like a hundred feet down that well and you don't have anything to draw water with. And by the way, like the water, this this water is special water. Like this is really good. It's been been, uh, giving people drinks since Jacob's day. Jacob dug this well. Not only did he drink from it, so did his livestock and his children. Everybody's been drinking from this. This is really good. And Jesus says, yeah, you're talking about physical water and it's good. It's, it's, it's good. That's, it's good physical water. Have you noticed that you've had to come here a few times? Have you noticed that every day you have to return Maybe even more than once a day. Come back to this place. You've got to drink it again and again and again and again. Such is, the, such is the case with all physical water. Here I am with my Poland Springs. It's delicious. I keep on drinking it. I'm going to have to drink it more throughout the course of our time because you get thirsty. Physical water only deals with physical thirst for just so long and you need it some more. What Jesus offers is an endless supply that meets way deeper needs than physical thirst. I want to pause for a moment here and think about the difference between a cistern and a spring. A cistern is something that's dug out of the ground and Uh, set up so that it can hold water. It's like a container. It's a glorified Tupperware. Over against a spring, a natural spring that keeps on producing fresh water again and again and again. And God uses both of these uh, analogies in relation to how we seek to provide for ourselves. One of the statements that stands out in Old Testament prophetic utterances is in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. Listen to this passage. 
where God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. A, a, a fresh stream that continuously gives forth. They've forsaken me who continuously gives and provides and, and, and cares for. And they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, glorified Tupperwares, except these Tupperwares are broken Tupperwares that can hold no water. Think about having a Tupperware and it's got a crack in the bottom of it and you fill it up with uh, some delicious sauce or soup. But it's got a crack. So you put the soup in, it's like right to the ground. Big mess you have on your hands there. How's that going to work out for you? Not very well. You've chosen to substitute what I provide that's an endless supply for your own little Tupperware that has holes in it that, that pours all over the ground because you, you think you can provide for yourself. When a cistern has a crack in the bottom, the supply runs out uh, very easily. On the other hand, natural springs are pretty interesting. Uh, this few weeks ago, my family went to Blue Springs State Park in Florida. I want to tell you two things about it. One thing that's related and one thing that's not. First thing, unrelated, completely uh, extra material for you. There are lots of manatee at Blue Springs State Park. Lots of them. So I'm standing there. We did this walk down the thing. We're coming back, and everyone's like gawking. They've got their cameras out and taking pictures of the manatee like deep in the water. It's like you can barely even see them. They're just down there. And I said to my brother-in-law, I said, I think you can get better pictures on the Internet than you can with your grummy camera. But just then, a manatee surfaced and did a barrel roll. And I'm like, where's my camera? And I said, kind of serves me right a little bit. The joke's on me. A little bit of karma served up raw for me. Uh, would have been great. It was a really great little shot there. At any rate, the more important reason for why I'm talking about the Blue Springs Natural or a state park is that every day, they say, 44 million gallons of water comes out of that spring uh, set of springs. 44 million gallons of water every single day. Like, that's... That's unfathomable. Like, I have got my little 16.9 ounce uh, bottle up here. It's a lot of those. A lot of those every single day coming out of that spring. Yet, that supply of water is not nearly as vast as the supply that Jesus offered to place inside of this one lady I want to place inside of you a fountain of living water that wells up and continues to spring forth, giving eternal life again and again for every need, for every craving, for every desire. I want to give you this endless supply. There is more volume. There is more consistency. There is more certainty in Jesus' promise than in any natural spring. Because Jesus' offer is of supernatural substance. The way that this is worded, interestingly, is it's a water that is welling up. And it's in the 
Middle passive voice. Everyone loves a good middle passive conversation. Passive, Rob gets hit by something. But actually, what I just did is I hit myself, didn't I? That's the middle voice. Rob hits himself. Rob hits himself. Rob hits himself. You want to keep doing it? Is that entertaining to you? This thing that's in her is a well that of itself was going to continue to well up and produce eternal life because it was not just some generic thing. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this little gift. This little gift. I'm going to, a token. No. Because that, that well is a well of God's grace, is a well of God's cleansing, is a well of God's substance, is a well of God's person. It's a well of Himself. He's offering to meet her deepest needs with Himself again and again forever and ever. And it will never, ever stop. That's what He offered her. And he offers that today. So as you come to the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and verse 17, it says, the, the, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price or without cost. Without cost to us. Because the cost has been paid by the one who offers that life. Jesus laid down his life that he might provide this welling up eternal life. So let's review for a bit. The Samaritan woman is there in the heat of the day and probably alone. Why? Would you say that she's ashamed? Would you say that she's guilty? Would you say that she's been shunned? And would you say that she's been uncared for? She was either dissatisfied or unsatisfying. Maybe she had one or two of her former husbands die. We don't know. Maybe people thought she was under judgment. Because she had a husband or two or three or four die. Who knows what people thought. Whatever the scenarios that were brought to her at this point, she was broken and lonely and despised and needy. So we come to the next portion of this and I want to say to you that Jesus is not, was not ashamed of her. Jesus is not, was not ashamed of her. All right, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw anymore. Uh, you, you didn't really pay close attention, did you? Some of us might say, All right, I'm out. <laughs> I tried. I tried the best I could to tell you that I have something for you and you're just not picking up what I'm laying down. Maybe you're just not sharp enough for me. So I'm, I'm out. But not Jesus. He says, I know what's going to get. I, I know why I started this conversation in the first place. I know what's going to get to the core of this. 
Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Oh, that's the end of the story? I have no husband? That, that, that's all you got for me? Jesus, revealing a little bit more of who he really is, says, Oh, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Could you imagine, would you like to see what her face looked like after that conversation? Like, like I've got no husband. You're right, yes, right. Here, here's the reality. Can you imagine the look on her face? Can you imagine? Did she feel intruded upon? Probably at that moment. As the conversation goes on, she doesn't feel that way. But at that moment, you could think, you, what have you been, you've been, you've been researching? Have you been stalking me? Inter- Facebooking, stalking me? You found all, went all to know all my history? You found all of these people? I don't know what she was thinking, but um, I think she was a bit devastated, uh, a little curious. Jesus wanted to get to the source of her discontent, her disappointment, her rejection, her devastation. That was times five. She was likely uh, used up and tossed aside like a commodity by, by many. Jesus wanted to unveil her need so she might find that His grace is satisfying. Jesus, rather than tossing her to the side, focuses all of his energy on her. Here's another great thing to think about. He's tired from a journey. He's sitting by the well. His disciples went off to get food. He's spent, but he's investing every ounce of himself, the man, Christ Jesus, investing every ounce of himself in this woman. He's just so awesome. Jesus draws near to those from whom others run. In the next chapter, we're going to see there's a man there. He's been sitting for 38 years, paralyzed. Nobody helps this guy into the water. Jesus comes to him. This lady's by herself in the heat of the day. Everyone wants to get away from her. They don't want to spend any time with her. Jesus sitting there by himself, fatigued, investing in her. Because that's who he is. He brings goodness to the table. He offers his living water that cleanses, that heals, and that is inexhaustible. Turn your your Bibles just for a moment. I've got to really wrap this up. We have to look there. Isaiah chapter 12 for a moment. We're going to come right back to John. Isaiah 12. Just look at verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. is drawing water from the wells of salvation and providing it to her. Look at chapter 44. Isaiah 44, just for a moment. Look at verses 1-3 through of Isaiah 44. He says, but, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have 
chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. He's just talking about this endless supply. This is exactly what he's offering to this woman who's in desperate need. Now the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, so those passages would mean nothing to her. However, in Samaritan liturgy, it is said of Tahib, who is the equivalent, the Samaritan equivalent of the Messiah, that this Messiah would, um, water would flow from his buckets. So it's very interesting that not only does Jesus able to pull on the Old Testament narratives and the prophecies to talk about this, also just from this lady's own background, he says there's a, there's a Messiah that you're waiting for that would come with, with water in his buckets for you. You can see how Jesus is offering a continuous supply, welling up of water, and it's so appropriate for the cavernous void of her soul. The water is emblematic of his grace, of his cleansing, of birth in chapter 3, later on in John, of the Holy Spirit. God fills our eternal void with His eternal supply. This really is nothing other than God, Jesus, offering Himself to her and offering Himself to us. Everyone else might forsake you. I'm talking to you. Everyone else might forsake you. Everyone else will definitely come to the end of their life. We're all finite. Everyone dies. It's a tough reality. But God never dies. Jesus is eternal. His supply is eternal. Everyone else wants to provide for you, take care of you, come alongside of you, love you, support you in all your distresses. They can do that and it's wonderful. And we're thankful for all of those bits and pieces, samplings of God's grace as a channel. But nobody can fill your needs like God Himself can fill your needs. Don't look to people to supply your needs. You've got to look beyond them. Because all of us, we're broken cisterns. We're broken pots. We're, we're, we're limited. God is unlimited. He has everything you need now, today, tomorrow, and all of the rest of the days. We all have an infinite need and it can only be filled by an infinite God. He offers Himself to us. Jesus came. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us. He was raised for us. Now, just going to take just a moment here. Ready? Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. No kidding. <laughs> Only believed in the first five books of the, of the Bible. So when she says this, it's possible she's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Sir, I perceive you are the prophet that Moses spoke about. I perceive you might be the Messiah. How do I know that that might be the case? Look down at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. He claims it. He just claimed it. Yes! 
You're on to something there. I am the one that you're speaking about. Look down at verse uh, 28. So the woman left her water jar. Why did she leave her water jar? Well, it symbolizes this or that. I don't know why she left the water jar. I think she was pretty uh, excited. So maybe she just plum forgot the water jar because she was excited and was running back. She left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? All right, now someone tells you all the things you ever did. You run away, like covering up. (laughs) I'm going to go hide in a corner somewhere. Why was she so excited to champion this unveiling of her shames? Why was she so excited to tell other people and champion that he was uncovering all of this? Because in the revelation of her shame, he offered to meet her need. He offered to meet her in her need. He does the same thing for you today. You don't need to hide. You don't need to run. And you don't need to feel shame. Come to Him. He already knows. He knows it all. Every single thing. And He offers you cleansing. And He offers you Himself. He offers to provide you with eternal life. This is incredible. So she goes and she does this and then people start coming to Him in verses 39-41. through They're coming to Him and they're hearing all these things and they start to believe. And then it says so much that they believed not even because of her words anymore because they heard His words and they start calling Him the Savior of the world. Because that's who He is. He's the Savior of the world. And my friend... I don't know where you are. I don't know what your deepest problems are, but I can tell you this. He's ready. He has what He needs to meet you in your need. Your deepest needs, your most scary, darkest, horrifying need. The one that you think, there's nothing that can fix this. The Creator of the world. He spoke the world into existence in six days. He holds your life in His hands right now. He can deal with your deepest needs. He offers Himself. And He's everything that you could ever need. Where where are you today? Are there matters that cause you to feel shame? Or unworthy? Or uncared for? Or unloved? Jesus, who is God-made flesh, is ready to supply everything you need. He is and has an endless reservoir for your every need. Let's pray together. Father, you know we commit ourselves. I commit my friends here to you. Help us to receive from you everything we need. Help us not to hold back. Help us not to run from you, but to run toward you knowing that you have what we need in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.